Please stand with me and take out your Bibles. Open to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, our reading as well as the content of our sermon this morning will be verses 32 through 43. Acts chapter 9, beginning verse 32. Now as Peter was traveling, traveling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Immediately he got up. And all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, Do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and went with them. When he arrived, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up, and calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. It became known all over Joppa, that, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray again. If you're visiting, we're delighted to have you as we study through the book of Acts. So if you're thinking, man, they pray a lot. We do. <laughs> we're desperately needy. Let's pray. Father, we pray now for the ministry of your Holy Spirit to empower me to declare your truth, enable your dear people to receive it, for the unregenerate, bring them to life today, demand that they arise in Christ's name. take up where we left off last Lord's Day, the conversion of Saul, the Apostle Paul. Um, immediately upon his conversion, um, he was baptized. He then went from there to immediately seek fellowship with believers and began to um, declare Christ, all of which are traits of transformation. After proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues in Damascus, declaring Jesus is the Son of God, proving that Jesus is the Christ from the Scriptures, that is the Old Testament, persecution broke out. The Jews began to plot, devise a plan to kill him. He escaped by night by being lowered down in a basket through a hole in a wall. Eventually, he made a visit to Jerusalem, and again, the Jews sought to kill him there, reminding us of the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, who said, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Another trait 
of transformation. So the brothers sent him off to his hometown, the place of his birth, Tarsus, and he'll be gone for a while until eventually um, Barnabas will seek him out in Tarsus, search for him, and bring him back to Antioch, which we'll read of when we get to chapter 11. And then Barnabas and Paul begin their first missionary journey in chapter 13. Meanwhile, Peter, who needs no introduction, um, returns to the scene um, ministering to believers who were scattered because of persecution at the stoning of Stephen in Jerusalem. A kind of um, itinerant ministry. He's going about from village to village. He's preaching the gospel. He's checking in on churches. He's doing his duty as an apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. His primary role, of course, Acts chapter 6, is the ministry of the word and, and prayer. Uh, the apostles or our preachers, their primary role is to preach and to pray. So here he is. He's about 20 miles northwest of Jerusalem, and if you go another 10 to 12 miles northwest, um, you'll arrive at Joppa, which is on the Mediterranean coast in and near modern-day Tel Aviv. Uh, if you were there with us, I don't know when we were there, 2008, we went to all these places, <laughs> Lydda and Joppa and so on. So that's where we pick up in verse 32. Now, as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda, the saints. Saints simply means Christians. All Christians are saints. There is not a hierarchy of super pious people who are canonized by God. Another heresy of the Roman Catholic Church. God canonizes nobody. Thank you. The body of Christ is equal. In Christ, we stand on equal ground. In Christ, there is no Jew, there is no Gentile, there is no male, there is no female, for we are all one in Christ. Christ has made the two men, Jew and Gentile, one by breaking down the middle wall of separation, as we read about in the book of Ephesians. Sainthood, in other words, is a positional thing, not a conditional thing. In position, we are pure and holy in Christ. Positionally, again, we stand on equal ground. You are a saint. Beloved, amen? Now, there's a host of other names that the Lord calls his people who are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, reminding us that God, almighty God, is far more willing to speak of us in, in such gracious terms than, than we ourselves are willing to speak. <laughs> Would you agree with that? So if you're a Christian, you are a saint, meaning you are set apart. You're beloved of the Lord. You are righteous. You are blameless. You are holy. 
because Christ represents you. He is our mediator. That is how God describes you. You are a saint. That's how he describes me. Because of his what? Grace. That's what grace does. Now, you take away grace, and all you are is a wretched, vile, wicked sinner. If you're outside of Christ, that's what you are. In Christ, you're declared righteous. You are a saint. Can I get a witness? Come on now. Go Pentecostal on you. Just kidding. So take away grace, we're wicked. So here you are, you are saints. He's visiting the saints. In other words, friends, there are no superstars in Christianity. Now, some ministers, unfortunately, don't realize that. I have met far too many wannabe rock stars and aspiring celebrities who are nothing more than motivational speakers who give Jesus a shout out now and again because they fear man, because they're spiritually spineless. They're afraid to declare the whole counsel of God because there are many portions of scripture that offend human pride. They fear man, so they don't preach. They self-censor their sermons because of cultural pressure. Jesus, the most offensive preacher there's ever been, is also the most loving preacher there's ever been. He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to lay down my life as a ransom for many. And he went on to say, the one who's greatest in the kingdom to his apostles is servant of all. There are no rock stars in the church of Jesus Christ. We are all saints. We stand on equal ground that the Lord's people, be they teachers, preachers, scholars, or theologians, are not celebrities. They're called to be servants of God's people. And Peter, here in this text, is a model for us. A man of God who is a messenger of God in two accounts here, Two accounts in Acts chapter 9 that serve as rising signs of redemption. Rising signs of redemption. That's the title of the message this morning. I use rising in the context of the raising of paralyzed Aeneas and lifeless Tabitha. Rising signs of redemption. Are you with me? This is going to be theological to begin with. So you have to follow. Now, without getting into all the aspects of redemption, redemption, according to the New Dictionary of Biblical Theology, redemption involves the release of people from bondage through outside help. God, of course, plays the leading role in redemption. Amen? Okay, now, your Bible, the Bible that's in your lap, is redemptive history that unfolds the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ from Genesis onward. 
Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 on the screen. For all the promises of God, i.e. Old Testament promises, find their yes in him. They find their yes, they find their amen in him. All the promises of old find their amen fulfilled in Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Who is our outside help? You can't redeem yourself. You're a sinner. You need a redeemer. There's one. He's our outside help, redeeming us from the bondage of sin and death. He who is the resurrection and the life. So we see the yes of promise, Jesus, foreshadowed throughout the ministries of Old Testament saints. Now, early on in redemptive history, we're shown miracles of deliverance through Moses and his protege, Joshua. Establishing a pattern of signs, of miracles, and leadership for God's people, Moses and Joshua. We see a raising of a people, which would become known as Israel, the deliverance of those people, the exodus, through leadership for those people, Moses, and then Joshua. It came about after the death of Moses, the man of God, we read in Deuteronomy, that the Lord commissioned Joshua to carry the torch. Moses and Joshua represent the exodus and the Mosaic law. Okay, now fast forward to the ministry of Elijah when the yes of promise, Jesus, is foreshadowed more intensely when Elijah heals and raises the dead. After which, a pattern is established where his protege, Elisha, will go on and do ex the exact same thing that his predecessor did, raise the dead. Now, through Elijah, 1 Kings 17, from which I read earlier, God raises the son of a, of a widow in Zarephath, which happens to be on the Mediterranean coast, after which the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God. And then through Elisha, 2 Kings, God raises the Shunammite son from the dead who cried out to the man of God, Elisha, just like Elijah, a replication of the ministry of Elijah, a replication, a foretaste, beloved, a foretaste of God, almighty God, restoring the wholeness and wellness of mankind through redemption. Wholeness was lost in the fall. These signs point to something greater than themselves, and that is the restoration of fallen mankind in the one who is the resurrection and the life who's yet to come at this point in time. So Elijah and Elisha express resurrection power. That is the resurrection power of God in redemptive history. So you have Moses and Joshua who represent the exodus, 
in the Mosaic Law, and Elijah and Elisha in redemptive history who represent the prophets. The law and the prophets who foretold the prophets of the promises of God that will find their yes in Jesus. Fast forward to the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 9, verse 28, look at it on the screen. Jesus took along Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different. And his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him. And they were Moses and Elijah, representing the law, Exodus, and prophets. They appeared in glory, and they were speaking of his departure. The Greek word for departure is exodus. They were speaking of Jesus' exodus, which was about, he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. His exodus that was accomplished at Jerusalem was his death, burial, and resurrection. That is redemption. The rising sign of redemption, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, providing his sheep, providing his people freedom from the bondage of sin and death. He calls them saints. Now, in Acts 9, it is recorded of Peter doing two miracles. First, the raising of a paralytic made whole again, and second, the raising up of someone who's dead, Tabitha, as the man of God, as the messenger of God. So like his master and Lord who healed the lame and and raised the dead, we're shown another replication, rising signs of redemption. In the name of the one in whom all the promises of God find their yes. Verse 33. There in Lydda, he found a man named Aeneas who'd been bedridden for eight years. He probably had to have people turn him over because of bed sores. For he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, make your bed. Immediately, he got up. Now, uh, get up and make your bed um, is a term that is symbolic of leaving a life of paralysis. Get up, go, walk, arise. Jesus Christ heals you. That could also be translated, Jesus Christ is healing you. That could also be translated, at this moment, Jesus Christ is making you whole. Get up. Now, according to the redeeming purposes of God in Christ Jesus, you, the saints of God, are being made whole. You ain't whole yet. I said ain't. Because it sounds cool. (laughs) Sounds better. You haven't arrived yet. 
Think about this. Every Christian is in the process of sanctification. That is being made whole. And we rejoice in the theology of the bumper sticker that says, God is not finished with me yet. At least that's one bumper sticker that's correct (laughs) with regard to theology. Deficiencies remain in each and every one of us here this morning. Every Christian is in the process of sanctification. R.C. Sproul, the late great beloved brother, R.C. Sproul in his commentary writes this. Each of us starts out carrying unique baggage. It takes some people 10 years to get rid of baggage that another was rid of in the first three months of their Christianity. For instance, I know people who've been wronged in in terrible ways all throughout their unbelieving lives when they're brought to faith in Jesus Christ and they come to realize by his grace how much they've been forgiven. They become very forgiving people. It's amazing, this work of grace. Other Christians I know, and perhaps you are one of them, are bitter people because they have bitter roots. They don't realize how much they've been forgiven because they're so slow to forgive those who sin against them. We hear people say, they go to someone they sin against, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? Yes, I forgive you, I have to. You ever done that? I have to forgive you. Yes, I forgive you, but you did this last time. And then you did it again, and they marked dates and times. Imagine if God did that to us when we came to him asking forgiveness the second time, third time, tenth time, one hundredth time. Does he do that? No. That's why he said to Peter, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, how many times do I forgive my brother? Like seven? When your brother comes and repents and asks for forgiveness, it's seven times, 70, Peter. Not 490, that's just an expression that means every time. Amen? So not everyone's in the same place with regard to sanctification. Sproul goes on, he says this, we are to be a fellowship of patient people practicing a love that covers a multitude of sins because we are altogether growing up into the fullness of Christ into conformity to the image of Christ. End of quote. 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 Quote, end of quote. Now, right now, Jesus is making us whole, but no one is whole yet, so we must be patient with one another, amen. Amen. A rising sign of redemption. Sanctification is one of the rising signs of redemption. You have been raised in Christ, and you are currently, presently, at this moment, being raised, being made. Now, here in Lydda, physically speaking, this man, Jesus Christ, Peter says, is making you whole. Get up, and immediately he rose. A manifestation of the sovereign power of God creating full function to this man's lame limbs instantaneously. There's no follow-up therapy needed here to strengthen atrophied muscles. Like I had surgery on my shoulder. Every week I have to go to physical therapy. 
Because when I had the injury three years ago, my muscles atrophied. They began to shrivel up, shrink. So we have to work them back up. Not here. <laughs> Not here. Immediately. He got up. And verse 35, all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. That's the fruit of this ministry right there. Now, this does not mean all without exception. This is a general term for a great many. I know some Christians make the mistake that when they word all, they always interpret it as all without exception. Or when they read the word world, they make the mistake of reading world without exception. But remember the Pharisees when they wanted to kill Jesus? One of the times they said, look, the whole world has gone after him. Does that mean world without exception? Of course not. It has more to do with world without distinction. Look at all the many people from all kinds of places following him. Let's put him to death. So here, a great number of people who witnessed this miracle believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it beautiful? Now, while a great number of people come to the Lord in Lydda, our attention is drawn to another place. It kind of, uh, meanwhile, in a place called Joppa, one of the Lord's disciples has died. Now, this is a reminder, beloved, that although this man, Aeneas, was raised up and made whole physically, the man who was paralyzed will eventually break down and die. Kind of healing is temporal. So here now, in Joppa, a disciple of the Lord has died. Now, Joppa was about 10 to 12 miles or so from Lydda on the coast of the Mediterranean. And this, of course, you'll recall, is where Jonah tried to flee from God's call on his life to go preach to Gentiles in Nineveh. You know, he went down to Joppa. Hey, there just happens to be a ship leaving right now. Here I am to buy my ticket. It just happens to be ready to go and a ticket's available. There, there's a bed available. It, this must be of God because everything's just falling into place. Don't do that. I've done that before. Oh, I did it years ago. I'm not going to tell you about it, but I, 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 I was under the illusion that God wanted me to do this one particular thing. I got involved in this one particular thing, and it was to be for the glory of God. And rather than recognizing a, lacking, a lack of fruit in someone's life who was running the show, this thing, I proceeded and I went forward and did this thing, and I used the excuse like, man, it must be of God because providentially everything has just fallen right into place and learned some hard lessons. That's what Jonah did. But anyway, this isn't about Jonah right now, although it is somewhat, and we'll, we'll hear something at the end of the sermon. But here in verse 36, now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding, abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. Now, the name Dorcas means gazelle. Beloved. She's described in a very glorious way. Now, if, if being referred to as a saint 
is encouraging. Notice, how would you like to have this epitaph? Notice, she was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. Verse 37, and it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Notice down in verse 39, and there's much weeping there. In other words, friends, the church lost a great trophy of God's grace on this day. That is to say, she she was not someone who, who attends church now and again to show their face, to get their fix. You, you know, someone who you would otherwise never see. A loss that wouldn't be that much really noticed by anyone. But not this lady. This loss, this death, greatly impacted God's people. It creates a large hole. And you know what? People like this, it always leaves a hard, large hole. This is one who served greatly within the local church, and she's now, she's now dead. It's a hard blow to the body. Some of you remember Katie. She used to sit right here. We have other beloved brothers and sisters who sit here now who have enough courage to sit in the front row. But <laughs> Katie used to sit right here. When Katie died, I don't even think she made it to 50 years old of a massive heart attack. She used to swim three, four, five days a week. La Jolla Cove had a massive heart attack. And they found her floating. Hard blow to the body when when, when we lost her. That's the idea. Tabitha. Verse 37. And when they washed her body, they laid her in an upper room. Does that sound familiar? Elijah and Elisha. It was a Jewish uh, custom to wash the body, to wrap it in spices, Spices in, in preparation for um, a swift burial. So here, um, the, the believers in Joppa, mourning this, this great loss, they know somehow of Peter's presence in Lydda. So, verse 38, since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him. Because every manner must be established by two or three witnesses. They send two men imploring him, verse 38, do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and went with them. When he arrived, they brought him into the upper room. So Peter is summoned, just like his Lord Jesus had been summoned to Bethany when his friend Lazarus died. Jesus, of course, tarried two days, and he went there, and from Bethany, in a grave, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, Jesus tarried two days because it was a very significant event in redemptive history, foreshadowing his own resurrection, and at the same time, he was forcing the hands of the Pharisees to kill him on time. Because after he raised Lazarus from the dead, and people were beginning to believe on Jesus because of the the resurrection of Lazarus, they wanted to kill him both. Remember that? So that was a very strategic thing, albeit different. Nevertheless, Peter is summoned, as was the Lord. And in Lydda, the alarm sounds. Peter travels the the 10 miles or so to the place where Tabitha has died. 
And when he arrives, there's a crowd of people, notice. They're in the upper room, verse 39. And all the widows, the widows, sound familiar? Old Testament reading. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was still with them. That is, those who'd been greatly touched by her ministry. The widows. The weeping widows here with them, with him in this upper room, clothing that she had made for them in hand. Now, she apparently had some wealth, this Tabitha, not willing to keep it to herself, but she used it to bless others. And when she dies, people are so upset, they, they bring the evidence of her life. This is what she made for me. This is what she did for me. This is what she created for me. She cut this out. She designed this. She made this for me. Fruit of her ministry. So this grace-filled, gracious, generous servant of the Lord has died, and they speak who knows what kind of kind words about this woman. You know, sometimes at a funeral during a eulogy, a eulogy means to speak a good word. You have some folks come up and speak good words about the person who's deceased. Things come out about individuals that, that nobody else may have known about. And that is really an appropriate time um, to speak about those things. And here, they come out in an upper room. These widows weeping and mourning, um, holding clothing that this Tabitha made for them. But, verse 40, Peter sent them all out of the room. He sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Followed footsteps yet once again. In Mark chapter 5, before Jesus raised one from the dead, he put them all out. Put them out of the room. You remember that in our study of Acts, our Mark? So note now, note the parallel of these accounts of the Lord Jesus Christ. Almost the exact same words are used to what Jesus had done in his public ministry. Mark chapter 2, verse 11, to the paralyzed man that was lowered down through the roof. Jesus said, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. Arise and walk. Here in Acts 9, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, make your bed. Arise and walk. A replication of what took place in the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, another replication of the exact same thing Jesus did um, is when he raised um, Jairus' daughter. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus is approached by this ruler of a synagogue pleading, my little girl, my little girl is ill to the point of death. Come, lay hands on her that she may be made well. When Jesus arrives, the little girl is dead and there are people in the room weeping. They are wailing. Jesus put them all outside. Mark 5, 41, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, 
which means arise. Tabitha, little girl, speaking in the Aramaic tongue, kumi. Tabitha, kumi. And immediately she got up. Here, Peter, Acts 9, sent them all out of the room, prayed to the Lord, and said, Tabitha, kumi. Tabitha, arise. And she got up. So, friends, it's no coincidence that as Elisha followed the ministry in the footsteps of Elijah, that he was authenticated also as a man of God, a messenger of God. Follows his master, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the source of all of those healings, Old Testament and New, raising them all. He who is the son of God. Jesus, the resurrection and the life, the eternal one. <coughs> Sorry. Peter, here, authenticated as a man of God, a messenger of God. He preaches the word of the Lord. Signs follow his preaching here in Lydda and here in Joppa. Authenticated. He's a man of God. Which connects the book of Acts to the reflective ministries of Elijah and Elisha, forming the next stages, the next chapters of redemptive what? History. The rising signs of redemption. Now, you sit here this morning, perhaps you say, oh, great, thanks. How's that helpful to me in my life? You know, I'm here, encourage me. You know, tell me what to do. Many times, that's the kind of preaching we want. Just tell me what to do. But let me say this, friends. The reason I try to make these glorious connections throughout redemptive history, you know, connecting the dots of time and history by way of the living word of God is because these are God's dots of connection that we are supposed to understand. That's why we do it. Connect, connecting the dots of history. So the application, if that's what you want, now you're going to get it. Here's the application. The application is the, the certainty and the assurance of growth within your soul, that is to those who are saved by grace. It's the certainty of growth and dependence upon our Lord, or at least it ought to. It bolsters our trust and faith in the one who's the author of it all, our Redeemer, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, one. Now, so that we don't get lost in the forest of giant heroes of the faith, <clears throat> like Elijah, Elisha, or Peter, and, and Paul, who is to come, Luke, the author, by way of inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is not afraid to spend ink on little people from little places. Who's Ananias? Ananias. Who's Tabitha? We'd never know of them if he didn't spend some ink highlighting 
where they lived and what, what occurred here at this time. So Luke highlights for us the work of God among all kinds of people from all kinds of places, not just key people in significant places. Amen? Are you with me? Okay, good. Reminding us. This reminds us that Peter, just like Elijah, just like Elisha, who had huge ministries, to say the least, enormous missions to accomplish as God's prophets and here as God's apostle, they, in the midst of it all, took time to show mercy to others just like their Lord Jesus. Yet none of them, including Jesus, including Jesus, took care of them all. Showing compassion and mercy. But all of them, every single one of them, took time to care for someone. None of us can care for everyone. But all of us can care for someone. None of us, none of us, none of God's saints has a raising people from the dead ministry. If you think you do, we need to talk. And you need help. But we do have ministries of service and mercy. Amen? We do have ministries of mercy and service. We can't do everything, but we are called to do something. And I was thinking this week, Usually when I say that to my wife, she applauds. Good for you, honey. <laughs> I was thinking this week how many Tabithas we have in this church. Those who make food so that in times of bereavement, times of illness, these women in this church, they jump to it and they get at it and they gather like a little army. It's amazing. Like Dorcas, which means, by the way, gazelle again, they move swiftly, they move gracefully, serving graciously. We have others who make encouraging phone calls. Those of you who write little notes of encouragement. For instance, When our brother John, one of our elders, firefighter, was off this past month fighting fires, who knows where, I came to find out this morning that many of the children in this church sent him letters to the local post office. Right, John, up there where one of the fires? They actually wrote out little cards to John as encouragement. That's what I'm talking about. That's amazing. Led, of course, by their parents. I know in this church that there's people who, who sit and pray with others, who sit and listen to others. They, they watch one another's children so you all can go out on a date night. This type of thing happens all the time. Many Dorcases in this church. Amen? A swift, moving, graceful gazelle. Serving. Question. As one who's been granted God's redeeming grace in Jesus Christ, 
one who is being made whole, how are you called to serve and to show mercy to others? First and foremost, to the household of faith, and then to those outside. Church comes first, Galatians 6, verse 10. Household of faith first. Okay, without, of course, minimizing the, the centrality of the preached word gathering together because that's how God sanctifies his people. Look at Ephesians 2. And, and Ryan cited this text earlier. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Even the faith we have to believe is a, is a gift. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship in Christ Jesus. Prepared, these works are prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So having been saved by grace, he prepared good works for us by the power of the Holy Spirit, just as he did Tabitha. Why? First, to manifest thankfulness to God. That's one reason. Another reason is an evidence of a true and saving faith, not merely a said faith. That's why we do what we do, to adorn the gospel, to glorify God, to glorify Christ, and, as Scripture says, to actually stop the mouths of unbelievers. When they, say your, when they see your good works, they will what? Glorify your Father who's in heaven. Now, how they glorify him, I do not know, is <clears throat> unbelievers. To strengthen your assurance. I am a child of God. I am a saint. It serves to edify others, as so many of you do. So if you have been raised and are being made whole, there should be signs of life, the life of Christ in you. Fair? Yeah. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, Augustine said something. In light of that, he said this, where your pleasure is, there is your treasure. Where your treasure is, there is your heart. Where your heart is, there is your happiness. Spurgeon, I read this week, said this, as there is the most heat nearest the sun, so there is the most happiness nearest to Christ. Yeah. Yeah. So here, back to the text, there's, there's some... Sometimes when messages are heavy in theology, people go, man, there was no application. What am I supposed to do? There you go. Fair enough. Amen. Sometimes people go, you know, I go to the church, and it's so heady, and I just, you know, just tell me what to do. There you go. We need both. So Peter says, Tabitha, arise, verse 41, and he gave her his hand and raised her up and calling the saints and widows. He presented her alive. So here, he escorts her by the hand, to the door, calling the saints, calling the widows. Here she is, alive and well. So imagine those who, who only moments ago were weeping with sadness are likely here weeping with gladness. Beautiful. Verse 42, it became known to all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Here we go again. Many believed in the Lord. Okay, now, these, these were apostolic signs and miracles. We're not apostles. We don't do works of miracles. But our works will be smaller in nature, and yet, beloved, when blessed 
of the Lord, may they indeed turn others to Christ. Amen? Verse 43. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. That's interesting. A tanner is one who removes the, the hides of dead animals and prepares, prepares them to be made into leather garments. Declared by rabbis to be near a tanner was to be unclean. So Peter, in the eyes of the rabbis, would be deemed as unclean by way of association. Now, next week in chapter 10, as we all know, when we get to chapter 13 and on, we all know that Paul will proceed to be the apostle to the Gentiles, those who are deemed or viewed as being unclean. Peter, in chapter 10, will introduce that ministry, ministry to the, to the Gentiles, the redeeming work of God in Christ to the Gentile world, a rising sign of redemption. Because through a vision, he's going to have this dream. Peter's going to have this dream. He's going to be up on the rooftop um, of, of Simon's home. And he's going to have this vision of all these animals lowered down on a sheet, some clean, many unclean. And he's going to hear the Lord say, Peter, rise and kill. The command of God to which Peter will reply, by no means, Lord. Can you imagine? No. No, Lord. Um, I have never eaten anything common. I've never eaten anything unclean. Then he hears a voice. What God has made clean, do not call common. Do not call unclean. I am the cleansing agent. Rise, kill. In other words, Old Testament dietary laws for Israel... Ritual cleanliness, abrogated, fulfilled. Jews and Gentiles are one in Christ through the comprehensive sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. The new covenant is here. Rising signs of redemption. Side note, with that in mind, I made mention of this earlier. By divine inspiration, the author, Luke, may have included this account that is, in the city of Joppa. He mentions Joppa, verse 36 and verse 43, as that city that would remind us of the prophet Jonah who went down to Joppa in order to flee to Tarshish when God commanded him to go to Gentiles and preach. Interesting. Okay, now to wrap up. I want you to notice verse 34 and verse 40. Get up, arise. It's the same Greek word, anisteme, 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 arise. Same Greek word. That same Greek word is also used to describe the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. His body, dead, laid on that slab, in that tomb, until God said on the third day, arise. Arise. Friends, 
when God comes after a sinner, in the midst of your mire, in the midst of your debauchery, in the midst of your evil, or he comes to a sinner in the midst of their self-righteous morality, in the midst of their um, I'm a good person philosophy, which is all evil, by the way. He says to their soul, arise, get up, repent, and follow me. Here at the command of Peter, in the name of Jesus Christ, Aeneas, who was crippled, got up. Tabitha, who was dead, got up. At the same command, arise, you got up. If you're a Christian, he said, arise, and you got up, and you've been walking. And you're still walking. You're being made whole. Rising signs of redemption. Genesis to Revelation. The centerpiece, the center of history is Jesus the Christ who was crucified on a Roman cross, the one who's the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life, our Lord Jesus Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. All things have passed. All things have been made new. So having been raised in the past, you are presently being raised, and you will be raised in the future. These bodies sitting in these seats, whether they're decomposing or have been de decomposed in the dirt, and you're with the Lord in spirit, these bodies will rise, and they will be made like our Lord Jesus Christ's risen body. And we will dwell on a glorified earth, a redeemed earth, new heaven, new earth forever, rising signs of? Redemption. So the prophets foreshadowed, and the apostle here and the other apostles echoed the life-giving power of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, who is the cornerstone of time, the center of history. It's all in him. All the promises of God find their yes and amen in Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, friends... If you're an unbeliever here today, if you're listening to this, you're an unbeliever, whatever condition you are in today, if you will put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, you can be certain that you, he has called you to arise and he is presently making you whole so that you can pick up your bed and walk out from, out from under spiritual paralysis and spiritual death to be made alive in Christ right now. Arise on this day because today is the day of salvation. If that's you, arise right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Believe on him. You shall be saved, and you are guaranteed that you will rise on the last day. Repent and believe. Change your mind. Change your heart. You think you're good enough to stand before God. You're wrong. You're dead. Repent of that. Come to Christ. You live in debauchery. You live in the mire of your own filthy sin. Repent. There is no sin. He will not forgive but one. Unbelief. To reject him. Come to Christ. Repent of that now. And you're a new creature. Being made whole.
redeemed. Redeemed. So in both cases here, the, the healing of Aeneas, application for Christians, the healing of Aeneas, the raising of Tabitha, both, both accounts resulted in the advance of the gospel, people turning to the Lord, people believed, many believed on the Lord, also rising signs of redemption. May the Lord do the same through our lives, through our ministries, as ministers of the gospel. Amen? Amen. Lord God, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the pages of scripture, redemptive history, that all the promises of you, almighty God, find their yes, find their fulfillment in Jesus, our Lord, our Savior. Help us to serve as we ought. Help us to be Tabitha-like people. Help us to walk renewed and strengthened like Aeneas. Help us to, to serve uh, mercifully and compassionately according to our areas of giftedness for the glory of the name above all names, Jesus Christ. So that wherever you may lead us, wherever you may take us, in whatever moment, whatever time we call upon you, as Peter did on that day, that this young man would arise. He did. May we by faith pray in like manner and depend upon the power of the Spirit to do this glor glorious work, furtherance of the gospel, that many would believe. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen.